Father, thank you for today, and thank you for uh, loving us the way you do, for the privilege to walk with you today, for our ears to be tuned to your voice today. Uh, Father, please, not mine. Um, Father, we want to hear from you, and uh, just pray now that you would change each of us. Change me. Start with me. Uh, Father, we'd be more like you and uh, more attentive to your ways and the way you have us walk. And uh, Father, our lives would be a life that would make others thirst for you. would make others want to know why we live the way we live. And we'd have the opportunity to tell them. Father, most of all, I'm just thankful for who you are today. Great are you, God. And we sing that so often, Father, I'm not sure that settles into us, but uh, would we get a fresh glimpse of that today? Great are you, God. We've all come at different places and all with different issues and things. And Father, we all stop to recognize that You are unmatched, unrivaled, unequaled, majestic, holy, gracious, just, merciful. You pursue us. You long to bless us and lavish yourself on us that we would know you So, Father, do a work in us today. May we be encouraged today to tell our story. In Jesus' name, amen. When I started this, I've been wanting to preach out of this. This passage has been on my heart for several months, and I kept going to something else. felt like the Lord kept taking me to something else. So today I get to do this. I uh, felt like he released me to do it. And my mind has been full of so much. And so it was like, uh, doesn't normally happen, but the Lord just kind of stopped in the middle of uh, me getting ready for stuff and just like, okay, that's enough. And because uh, this passage, 42 verses, is about 12 sermons long. Okay, so get ready. Um, let's get going. But uh, it's, it's, there's messages all through this thing that you could just take sections out of. But we're going to kind of skip through all 42 verses and we can do that quickly. Okay. Um, as I got ready, I, I, my title, I never hardly ever title sermons, but my title in my head was tell your story. And then I read Debbie's post on Facebook this week, and uh, I came back to say, oh, I'm going to have to change my title, and that is tell his story. Because it's not really your story. It's not really my story. It's his story. I've just been entrusted with it and how it relates to my life and how he met me. But it's really the story about him and his love pursuit of us and those who aren't here this morning that need that love pursuit made known in their life. So my goal today is you'd be encouraged to tell your story. God has gone to great lengths, great sacrifice, moved heaven and earth to give us a story. I was a 21-year-old college kid at Mississippi State about to bust hell wide open with the way I lived life. 
and God stopped me. And I'd grown up in church, grown up as a good Baptist kid, was president of my youth group, preached my first sermon when I was 12. That was on Sunday. Monday lived like hell. Smoking dope, drinking, doing everything I could. Roll back to church on Wednesday night, look my best. Back at it on Thursday. Come back on Sunday, look my best. I had a drug problem. My parents drugged me to church all my life, but never life change. I knew all about Jesus. I can tell you all about Jesus. Came to Mississippi State, interviewed to be a summer missionary because that was the highlight of everything at the BSU out here. And I told that committee everything they wanted to hear. I knew it. Didn't have a story. Just had information. Seventh week of my summer, God sent me to Upper State, New York. So I was living with a family of 12. Yeah, 10 kids, all between the ages of 16 and 4. Yeah, yeah, it was a nightmare. Those kids booby trapped my room so many times, it wasn't even funny. Um, lived my whole summer up there, living on the porch um, by the freezer and... God's plan in my life, man, just tracking me down. Seventh week of my summer, I spent the whole week just undone. And on Thursday, I walked the whole morning, just walked around town. And uh, just going, man, what is going on? That night, we had a revival service in a roller skating rink. And the guy read the scripture, Matthew 13, Wheat and the Tares. And I bowed my head. I was like, God, you got me. That's exactly who I am. I'm a weed that spent my whole life trying to look like wheat. I don't have a story. I'm not wheat. I'm a weed. And there'll come a day when I'll be harvested and thrown into the fire. Because I have no relationship with the Lord. So I saw that that night, bowed my head and asked Jesus, to be Lord and Savior in my life. And I said to him that night, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Just don't send me to Africa. But God knows better. He does things that we don't even know about. And uh, it's interesting because my partner, a girl from Gaston, Alabama, was crying when I got through praying. Tapped me on the leg. She said, I need to talk to you. I'm like, no, you don't. I said, because... I just settled my relationship with the Lord tonight. First time in my life. She said, Mark, I don't know him either. I said, well, we'll change that now. So within 20 minutes of my own profession of faith, got to lead my first person to Jesus. And God gave me a hunger for that. I remember what it's like to be lost. Never forgotten it. And I have a story to tell. And my story is about Jesus. And it is a powerful story. And so is yours. It is a powerful story. We're going to walk through this passage, and I want to introduce you to a lady who had a powerful story. An unbelievable story. And see what God did through her unbelievable story. Right? So here we go. What's on the screen is not my... I'm in NIV. I'm not sure what you're in. 
What? Oh, yeah. You're in nothingness. Um, so I'm going to get going. You'll catch me. John 4, first verse. It's now Jesus learned that the Pharisees uh, had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Uh, let's go to verse 4. We'll skip those and we'll go to verse 4. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Okay, we're going to learn about that here today, why he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When the Samaritan woman came uh, to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here and draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you, are now, you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you, you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. All right, let's stop there. I'm going to roll back just a little bit and give you some history for this passage. Um, I was asking questions today because I asked, my question was, why do the Samaritans and the Jews hate each other? And if you don't know that, that whole history of that, then this passage doesn't have near the impact it should. It, you miss so much of this passage. The Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. Um, so much that there are three routes around to get from Galilee to Jerusalem. There are three routes, okay? One is a northern route, um, one's through Perea, and one's straight through Samaria. And the Jews would walk extra days to go around Samaria to get to Jerusalem. They were not going through Samaria, through Samaritan land. They're not going through it, okay? Because there was such a hatred. And what happened was, Back when Assyria came in and conquered the land, Assyria took most of the northern kingdom out. This is part, Samaria is part of the northern kingdom 
the area is, okay? And so they took all these people out, all the Jews out, and transported them away, and they brought other nations, other people groups in and planted them in this area. And the remnant of Jews that were left intermarried with these other nations that were brought in. And they, according to the Jews, they perverted their faith because they began to pick up habits and things that these other people had. So they, did, they only believed certain things and they didn't worship in Jerusalem anymore, but they made their own temple on Mount Gerizim where this whole passage is taking place. And so the Jews couldn't stand them. To the point they'd walk around. They didn't want to encounter them. Um, they despised them. And so Jesus is walking back through with his disciples. And it had to be a shock to the disciples, you know. Um, we were talking about it like, um, Jesus, where are you going? I'm going to Jerusalem. Yeah, but uh, it's that way. He's like, no, it's this way. No, we don't go through Samaria, Lord. Don't you know that? Yeah. He's now we're going this way. You know, it had to be a shock to them because they just didn't do it. This is long, long history. They just didn't do it. Okay, you have to understand there's this is unbelievable hatred for them. And the Samaritans didn't like the Jews for the way they treated them either. So here are two people standing off to each other, and Jesus like, that doesn't matter to me. Here we go. So he walks on and said he had to go to Samaria or through Samaria. Why? Because he had an appointment, a divine appointment with a lady at Jacob's well. So as you walk through this passage, you understand that he goes, he's tired, okay? Believe it or not, Jesus got tired. They walked everywhere they went, okay? And he got tired and he was sitting there. He'd sent the disciples to town for food, which if you know about the whole history and how they didn't like each other, that had to be tough for the disciples also because they weren't going to eat Samaritan food. That was even more of a no-no, you know? So it's like, okay, we'll go get whatever, you know? And they went to town. They're looking for food. And Jesus starts a conversation with this lady. Uh, Can you give me a drink? And she's like, you're a Jew. You don't speak to me. Much less I'm a woman. Wasn't done. And Jesus enters this long discourse and conversation with her. Now, the woman, you have to know that the woman, normally women came to get water in the morning or in the evening when it wasn't so hot. And they usually came in groups. But this lady came by herself in the middle of the day. Why? Because she was not a respectable woman. And she had isolated herself from all the other people because of the lifestyle she lived. And she came at noon when she didn't have to encounter anybody. She could do her business, get her water, go back, and not have to be bothered by anybody. Makes it even more astonishing because Jews would certainly not have spoken to a woman like that. And Jesus enters the conversation with her. And he begins to talk to her. It's interesting for me that uh, first they go through the living water topic. They start talking about water. And uh, Jesus says, you know, if you knew who asked, uh, who was talking to you, you would ask them for water. 
But you don't have nothing to draw water with. You know? Are you crazy? Out of your mind? How are you going to get water out of the well? She's very practical, and uh, she misses the whole point. Flies right by it. And Jesus, he's heading somewhere with this woman because he's going to reveal to her who he is. He's going to give her a story. I remember we were in Botswana, and um, we felt like the Lord had told us to go into the men's dorms and the women's dorms on our campus at the University of Botswana and share with every student, every first-year student, because we felt like if we didn't get them in the first year, then we would not get them, especially in that culture, as promiscuous as these people are. Um, so I, I got two girls to come out as journeymen to do the girls' dorms because we don't go in girls' dorms. No, it's bad enough in the men's dorms that the girls are in the men's dorms. Um, it was bad enough there, but we had two girls that did the girls' dorms for us. Uh, had two ladies that came out and prayer walked ahead of them, did the girls' dorms, and then we did the men's dorms. We had a bottle of water that we gave everybody and some other things. We'd gotten pens and cups and stuff, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, but our bottle of water had on it, if you drink this water, you'll thirst again. But if you drink of the water that Jesus gives, you'll never thirst again. And so we would read it with them and, and give them the bottle of water and, uh, and, you know, share it with them. Many of them would ask us in, and we'd get to share with them. Got to lead a bunch of those kids to Christ. But I remember going to this one door and knocked on the door. Was, we were going to see this guy. Seth always asked me about this. A guy named Seawater. I don't know where he got that name, but his name's Seawater. We're, we're a landlocked country. There's no Seawater. Um, but that was his name. Mom must have named him for a dream. I don't know, but his name was Seawater. And so we knocked on the door, and... Uh, Seawater didn't answer. This girl answered, and she's got a towel wrapped around her. And we're like, oh, um, is Seawater here? She said, nope, I'm in the bathroom. And I was like, okay. Um, and this guy, Tebby, was with me because we took students with us when we went out to share like that. And um, Tebby says, well, uh, we'll come back in about 10 minutes. Uh, when he comes back, let him know we're coming back. And uh, that way you guys can be ready when we come back. Meaning put on some clothes. Um, so we walked down the hall, talked to some other people, and came back, knocked on the door, and they were both there, and we uh, walked in. And, and when we left the first time, Tebby said to me, he said, we have to go back there. He said, you know who's standing at that door? The woman at the well. He said, the woman at the well. Man, I was like, you, you don't know how excited I was that this kid had read a passage and then walked up to a door and went, those two relate. Now I'm using scripture in my life and understanding what I'm looking at through God's word. And I was like, whew, man, we're going somewhere now. So we came back and got to sit down and we shared the gospel with them. And they were kind of laughing, you know, and, and they said, yeah, yeah, we'd love to ask Jesus in my heart. And I'm like, no, ain't working. Because I'm like, how can you be confronted with your sin and still laugh and smile? Just don't see that happening. It's a big flag for me, you know. So, you know, they were just giggling, you know, and, and so, uh, man, we were sitting there and I said, uh, I said, see, what are you sure this is what you want to do? Yes, sir. I said, let me ask you this. You want to tell her that you'll never sleep with her again because now you're for Jesus? You willing to tell everybody here that you're now for Jesus and you're not going to live that life anymore? Man, his whole complexion, his whole countenance dropped. 
And he sat for a long time to think. Just let the Lord work on him. And eventually he said, yes, that's what I want. And so we got to talk to both of them and begin to lead them to Jesus. Living water. He said, your life will well up like a spring of living water. It will flow out of you. Do you have that story? Do you have that relationship this morning where you have tasted of the water that Jesus gives, the living water, and it wells up and flows out of you? You know, so many of us, we try, we, we go place to place. We're like, I got to do this for the Lord. No, you got to just, it, it's about walking in relationship and letting it come out of you. So it says, it will come out of you. Can't help it. I can't help it. Wherever I go, I just can't help it. That's how it happens. I, I have days it doesn't happen, but I'm telling you, that's how it's supposed to happen. That it would just flow out of us. You're at Walmart. Sprint Mart, the bank, your job, does it flow out of you? See, our world's not going to get reached by pastors, preachers. It's going to get reached by women at the well and you sharing in your workplace, letting living water come out of you that people would never thirst again because what their life longs for is being quenched by Jesus. But I have a story, and my story's about Jesus. And they don't believe in, in, and come to faith unless they hear about my Jesus. Got to open my mouth. That's what this whole thing's about. He moves on. She misses a point on living water. And uh, so, you know, the, the woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I won't have to come draw water again, okay? I'm tired of coming to the well, so give me this water. And Jesus says, well, go call your husband. Now he's getting to the heart. And she said, I have no husband. He said, you're right. You had five. And the man you're with now is not your husband. And she's undone, Okay? He is reaching into her life. And um, he said, what you just said is quite true. And she said, I can see that you're a prophet. And so she's diverting the subject in a hurry. You know, pressure's on now because he's exposed really the heart issue. I'm sure there were other things going on in her life, but that's the big issue for her. And he's exposing that. And she's like, oh, I know you're a prophet. So where are we supposed to worship? which would have been the hot topic, the controversy between Jews and Samaritans, you know, Mount Gerizim, or do we worship in Jerusalem? That was the big issue for them, one of the things that they had differed on and had been a source of conflict for so long. And she's diverting the subject, and Jesus just keeps walking, just keeps moving with her. And he takes and he says, uh, you know, God is spirit. His worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. He's like, look. The day's coming. It don't matter whether you worship on Gerizim or Jerusalem. It don't matter. Jerusalem ain't going to be there because they're going to destroy it. And it won't matter. What matters is that you worship in spirit and truth. What matters, what he's saying is, what matters is you have a story. You can't tell somebody about your story unless you got one. 
Been there, done that, tried that. Doesn't work. Spent 21 years without a story. And I tried often to tell people about a story I didn't have. And I would hear somebody speak and I would go, ooh, I like part of that story. <laughs> you know, let me try to mix that into mine. My story was so much better as God walked with me and tracked me down because he pursued me out of love and tracked me down to a place where on July 21st, 1983 at 8.35 p.m., I bowed my head and gave my life to Jesus and changed from the inside out. And I've longed to tell my story everywhere I've gone. Been on many continents, many countries, many places by the grace of God. Been able to tell my story, his story to people. He moves on and um, I won't get to the end because we're two minutes from I got to quit. It says, then leaving the water, it says, uh, go to verse 27. It says, then Jesus' uh, disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking to the woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking to her? They're going, you know, he's not supposed to be talking to her. What's he doing? Of course, we weren't supposed to be in there getting food either. But we, it says, then Jesus, if you go back to 26, it says, then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. It actually, in the, in the Greek, it says, I am. Jesus saying, I am the Messiah. I'm the one you've been looking for. And the lady leaves her water jar, the, the thing she came to the well to do. And in verse 20, 28, it says, Then leaving the water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come see a man that told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. I find it interesting that the disciples went to town and they came back with food. The lady goes to town, having encountered Jesus and begun to get her story, and she comes back with the town. Sometimes even us who know better and that know we should be doing don't do what we should be. They did what Jesus asked them to do. They went and got food. But there was a whole town ready to hear about Jesus. And they didn't bring anybody back. Because it was her testimony, her story that began to unlock things for them. And she went back to town telling her story about encountering the man that could be the Messiah, the long-awaited one. See, even the Samaritans were looking for the Messiah. And she says, come meet this man. The whole town followed her out. It says, meanwhile, the, his disciples urged him, eat something. I'm going to skip through some of this. It says, uh, Jesus says in verse 35, don't you, don't you have a saying, it is still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Okay? Probably early part of uh, um, four months from the harvest would have been like January, December, January. They plant November, December. 
So it had just been coming up out of the ground, so it had been green everywhere. As the wheat and the weeds and all that comes up out of the ground, it had been green everywhere. And, um, and so he's like, open your eyes. The harvest is here. It's coming. It's close. It's now. It says everything's ripened for harvest. Um, he t- uh, skip to verse 39. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. What? Not only did he enter Samaria, not only did he walk through the country, not only did he meet the lady and speak to her and speak to a Jewish lady, I mean a Samaritan lady, who was a lady of ill repute, camps out for two days. He only had three years of ministry, and he spends two days in Samaria with this woman and her people. Precious time. But Jesus gives two days to stay in with them. And it says, and because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Let me wrap up. Who is Jesus to you? Is he really the savior of the world? Is God really great? Is he the one that goes obediently because his father told him to to the cross beaten, shamed for my sin and for yours? So that I could have a story to tell. Is that who he is? Then why don't I tell my story? Why don't I tell my story? I learned early in my walk with the Lord. Johnny helped me learn some of this. But I learned early in my walk with the Lord. The Lord's not asking me to tell someone. That he's not prepared to hear. I'm just supposed to tell my story. I don't have to convince them. Holy Spirit's doing that. I don't have to write a dissertation or explain 12 theological points for them to come to Jesus. I just have to tell my story. I just have to tell my story and watch what God can do. I want to give you just Real quick little points. One, you got to have a story to tell. If you have no story, if you never met Jesus, if you never encountered Jesus in a way that your life changes, then you have no story to tell. And my invitation to you today is to come meet Jesus. Come 
meet the man that met me in the middle of everything I ever did and loved me like nobody ever loved me. Nobody's ever loved me like that. Come meet my Jesus who rescued me out of all the muck and the mire and gave me life with a purpose. Come meet my Jesus. Second thing I'd say to you is you got to protect your story. You got to protect your story. If you met Jesus, then we have to protect our story. By the way, we live our life, okay? What kind of aroma does your life put off? Because we, we can get in a mess ourselves and it'll taint the smell of our life. It'll taint the testimony of our life. And people look at us, they're confused as they can be. Okay, now you talk about Jesus, but you've got to protect your story. I'm thankful that God is forgiving and patient with me with my story. And even in, sometimes uses my mess to be a part of my story. I used to work with 17 guys out at my dad's place and some of the raunchiest people I've ever been around in my life. And I couldn't understand. I didn't want to be out there. And God said, just keep living your life out there. And time and time again, doors opened up to share my story, to share my faith with people out there. And still today, I have relationships with some of those guys. Many have gone on several have passed from this life. But you know what? When they passed, they knew about Jesus. Because God put me in that dark little corner of Startville to be his story to those people. And he used me day after day out there, and I'm very thankful for that. I didn't want to be there. But I look back now, and God was preparing me for so much more. Um, got to protect your story and I had to they would say things to me and tempt me you know, what you need is this and I'm like what you need is a good dose of Jesus <laughs> you know and they'd get walk away I'm like okay it's fine protect your story by the life you live and um, the last thing I'd say to you is open your mouth open your mouth and watch what he can do Here's a lady who meets Jesus on this day and goes to town and brings a whole town back. Think about it. A lady that in her own town, nobody to speak to. And she runs back to town going, come meet the man who told me everything I ever did. Surely this is Messiah. And they all came. And so many believed. I'm going to close just as... I got two illustrations very quickly. Tim Tebow. Everywhere you go, Tim Tebow's telling his story. As a young man, God gave him a story. Everywhere he goes, he's telling a story. Played football at Florida and said he was, I was watching this, uh, he was speaking at this play and I was looking at the, uh, the message he was doing the other day and it said, you know, he was, sitting, he was sitting stretching and he noticed that some of the guys kept smearing eye black on their face, you know, and he thought, I wonder if I could use that and put a Bible verse in it and just be an encouragement to people on the field who would tackle him or whatever and see that Bible verse on his face. So 
Romans 8.28, I think is what he put on there. And he played with that for most of his career. And, uh, and you know, God blessed him in that. You know, he said, I don't know how much difference that made in people's life, but, you know, I was trying to be an encouragement to people. So Urban Meyer was his coach, and Urban Meyer is very superstitious. So he came up to Urban Meyer the day before their national championship game and said, hey, I feel like the Lord's told me to change that, and I want to put John 3.16 on it. And Urban Meyer said, uh-uh, Romans 8.28 got us here. And he's like, no, it didn't. Our talent got us here. And so he, he said, well, I don't care. Felt like the Lord told me this, so it's going to John 3.16. So he put John 3.16 on it, played through the championship game. You know, they won the championship game. He's the most valuable player. And so afterwards, they're in a restaurant, and the, uh, the media guy for Florida football came up to him, Urban Meyer, and handed him a slip, and he read it, and he was like, oh, interesting. And Tebow said, what? And he said, he just said that during the game yesterday, 94 million people Googled John 3.16. How many, you got, how many of y'all share with 94 million people in one night? Anybody? Tell your story. And watch and see what God can do. Tell your story. 94 million people in one night. Just because had voice, God's voice in his life and did what God said. Um, Maya Moore, anybody know about Maya Moore? Uh, Seth does, I know, because we talked about this, but he, knew, he gave me a lot of this anyway, but we're, I checked it with him. Seth knows all the stuff. She is considered probably the greatest woman athlete of our day and maybe of all time. Check this out. These are all stats, um, but I'll go very quickly. In high school, Collins High School in Swanee, Georgia, she averaged 25.5 points a game, 12.1 rebounds, 4.0 assists, and 4.3 steals every game. She was National Gatorade Player of the Year, Gatorade Female Athlete of the Year, and McDonald's All-American. Uh, and she, in high school, they made it to the championship, state championship game four times, won it three times. Um, she went to college at UConn. Oh, she was Miss Georgia basketball also. She went to college at UConn. Um, she got the John Wooten Award. They had a win streak of 70-something games, uh, two national championships. She finished UConn with 2,664 points, 1,212 rebounds, 407 assists, and 467 steals. Um, she was college's fresh, first freshman ever to be named as an All-American. First pick in the NBA draft in 2011, WNBA draft in 2011, uh, Rookie of the Year in 2011, NBA championship, WNBA championship 11, 13, 15, 17, um, NBA Player of the Year, Most Valuable Player of the Year 14, um, Most Valuable Player in the Finals in 13, All-Star in 15, 17, 18, Olympic Gold in 12 and 16, and won the scoring title in 2014. She's the first woman ever to sign with Jordan Brand, her own tennis shoe. $140-something for a pair of tennis shoes. And she told Nike, I'll do it. But you got to put my favorite verse on there. 
Everywhere you go, Maya Moore is telling her story. Okay? She's not playing this year because she wanted to focus on family and ministry. Most successful woman ever, and certainly in basketball, and she's taking this year off because she got some ministry stuff to do. Telling her story. So Nike says, okay, doing the shoe. And on the pull tab of her shoe, on the back of the pull tab, it says 323. Colossians 323. If you open the promo that comes with the shoe or their catalog, it tells her story. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart unto the Lord. And Nike tells her story in their promotional material. Yeah, evil Nike. Check that one out. She just told her story. And God said, watch what I'll do. I'll even let Nike tell your story for you. So now everybody will know your story. My story. God, God wants us to tell our story out there to people who need to hear it. We're with him every day. And he wants us to tell our story and watch what he can do. Louis Giglio calls it living the life that leads to why. Where people say, why do you do that? Why do you live like that? Why do you go to church? Why do you walk with those people? Living the life that leads to why. A.W. Tozer, they said when he died, they put on his tombstone... A.W. Tozer, man of God. And so it wasn't a surprise to anybody. Everybody knew what they put on his tombstone because of the way he lived his life. God's asking us to live that way. Tell our story. So when we pass on from this life, people know what's on our tombstone. They love Jesus. They told Jesus' story. They were a man or woman after God. And watch what God can do. Far more than we can ever ask or imagine. I'll quit with this. Trevor Lawrence. You know who Trevor Lawrence is? Played for Clemson. Just quarterback for Clemson. Freshman. Played, won the national championship this year for uh, Clemson. So when he got on the bus, he had the MVP trophy in his hand. Sitting next to the guy holding the national championship trophy. And he was more excited that they had Chick-fil-A to eat on the way back to the uh, hotel than he was to have the national championship or MVP trophy in his hand. He's a teenager, a freshman. I like Chick-fil-A more than I do a national championship, even though it's going to give me a ring. I don't care. Can I have another fried sandwich? When they interviewed him, he said, after the game, they said, what's the most amazing thing that happened to you this year? And he said, I would have never gotten where I'm at if it weren't for my small group at church and my faith in the Lord Jesus. Just telling a story. Just old freshman likes Chick-fil-A more than anything else in life other than Jesus and he's just telling a story. Won the biggest game of his college career in his freshman year and he's 
blowing right by because that's not what he values something even more his life with Jesus so I know for me God has asked me this week to look again at my life and what do I value do I really value Jesus more than anything because if I do I can't help but tell people I run to tell people and if I don't then I need to deal with some of those things and lay those things down that Jesus be my number one. And then I would say it to everybody I meet if they'll give me a chance.